I recently ran a study of thousands of office workers with Quester, a research firm, and we found that on average, an employee is wasting up to four hours a week on poor, unclear, or confusing digital communication. This is not only having an impact on our productivity, it's impacting well-being, it's impacting collaboration, and it's impacting lost profits. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to episode 104 of the Love in Action podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of leadership and practical love. We would love it, in fact, if you could share this episode far and wide, send it to a friend and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Now, listen, today's episode, I feel is going to be captivating. And here's why. For years, I've written stories on my Inc. Magazine column about body language, right? It's a popular topic. You know, it gets tons of traffic. People, they, they want to know, especially leaders, they want to know how to communicate better non-verbally because there's so many things that we do or we don't do that holds us back as leaders just by subtle little things like for example tilting your head to one side or leaning forward which are cues that tell the the person across from you that you're listening attentively and you're interested in what you're saying what they're saying as well if they're speaking to you so think about a person with, you know, maybe good posture and perhaps, you know, really they're right there with you every step of the way. They have really good eye contact when they're speaking to you or or maybe when you're when they're listening to you speak to them. So all of these examples signifies that you're interested and engaged in the conversation. It just it shows really good body language. But then in March 2020, the world started working remotely almost overnight. And we lost, for the most part, those traditional body language signals once we went fully digital. So now that we find ourselves in this work from anywhere world, what we're finding is that leaders are struggling to keep their teams feeling connected and engaged. Well, not only that, employee frustration and miscommunication is at an all-time high. You know. It feels so much harder if you're a leader to foster trust in a virtual community, in a virtual you know, culture over screens and devices. And quite honestly, I'm going to speak from the heart. How we communicate virtually, for me at least, it just isn't hitting the mark like if we were talking and collaborating face to face. Is this true for you? The root of the problem, according to my guest today, is our failure to understand how the tools that make remote work possible, you know, email, texting, Zoom, Slack, etc., they've also caused a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of conflict, and a lot of distrust. Oh man, this is going to be good because today we're going to learn to translate traditional body language into digital body language and to walk us through some simple strategies to you know help us to get rid of all of these 
all this confusion and frustration and truly understand each other across the digital landscape is Erica Duwan, author of a brand new book, Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance. Erica is a globally recognized leadership expert and keynote speaker. She's spoken worldwide all over the place to organizations that range from the World Economic Forum to global Fortune 500 companies. She's been named as one of the top management professionals around the world by global gurus, and she's been named by Thinkers 50 as the, and I quote, the Oprah of management thinkers. She's also the founder and CEO of Cotential, a company that has helped leaders and teams leverage 21st century collaboration skills globally. Her writing appears often in places like Fast Company and Harvard Business Review. And she now joins us. Erica, welcome to the Love in Action podcast. It's so great to be here. So, man, I can't wait for this conversation because I have so many questions for you about this whole idea of digital body language. But before we dig into that, we start as we always do with our traditional first question. Question: Are you ready? Oh, yes, I am. Can't wait. Erica, what's your story? I grew up as a shy, introverted kid. My parents were Indian immigrants, which meant at home, we spoke Hindi. So mm. when I got to school outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I struggled. I uh, had accented English and I often got teased in class. I'll never forget, you know, when I struggled to assimilate, one of the things I was able to do was develop a skill of deciphering other people's body language. I would mm. watch the popular girls with their heads high, the cool kids slouching during schools, school assemblies. And I really began to learn that it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. I also remember at home watching Bollywood movies, not knowing exactly what the actors and actresses were saying in Hindi, but I could understand the entire storyline through body language. Wow. Fast forward 30 years, I became a communications and collaborations expert. And a few years ago, I kept realizing that my clients were asking the same questions, questions like, why is there so much misunderstanding at work? Or how do we better connect with different ages and working styles? And what I realized was that there was no rule book for the body of our language in a digital world. And just yeah. like I was an immigrant to traditional body language as a kid, today we are all immigrants to digital body language. That's my story. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good one. So I want to start from the top about, let's get into definitions, because when you just throw out the words digital body language, I mean, lots of things can come up. So in your own words, what do you mean when you say digital body language? Digital body language are the cues and signals that we send in our digital communication that make up the subtext of our messages. Everything from our punctuation in a text, our response time in an email, the ways that we show we're engaged on a video call, whether through chat or looking into the camera or even turning on our video, these signals are not trivial. They make or break trust, empathy, and respect in our new world. And what was implicit before in traditional body language, the head nod, the eye contact, I like to say that must be explicit in our digital body language. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's, for the sake of this conversation, we're going we're gonna to break this down into problem and solution because, well, regardless of whether you're heading back to the office, you know, two or three days per week in a hybrid setting, or maybe you're staying remote full time. I don't know. So many co companies differ now. I even heard that some are planning on going back 
in the fall, full-time in the office if everyone's fully vaccinated. So what's happening is that trust is, for me, I, I mean, my work in, in the coaching and speaking realm, I'm always preaching trust, trust, trust. You have to build trust in order to have a, a good, healthy culture and high-performing organization. And this is definitely the case in a virtual setting. I think that in a virtual setting, especially trust can make or break things. So here we are, 2021 now, we've gone through the last 14 months of having to just navigate through the, the digital communication landscape. And you say there's a crisis. Well, there's been a crisis and maybe we're still in the middle of the crisis of misunderstanding at work that's creating this whole new organizational dysfunction. Man, I don't like that word, when dysfunction in a, in a leadership sense, that red flag goes up immediately for me. So walk us through this crisis of misunderstanding. What are we experiencing? I recently ran a study of thousands of office workers with Quester, a research firm, and we found that on average, an employee is wasting up to four hours a week on poor, unclear, or confusing digital communication. This is not only having an impact on our productivity, it's impacting well-being, it's impacting collaboration, and it's impacting lost profits. Have you ever dealt with missed deadlines, confusing emails, multiple reply-alls that were wasting time, endless video meetings that really could have been 20 minutes that turned into 90 minutes? We've all been there. Yeah, and, and, and this I, stuff was going on before the pandemic. Oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, absolutely. We had bad meetings and emails then, but what actually happened is with our digital shift, some of the terrible uh, ways of using digital body language just got amplified. And so in many ways, I do believe that this is a moment of reckoning. This is a moment for us to hit reset, to set some rules with our team that if there has been four multiple reply all emails, pick up the phone. Or we don't need to have 60-minute video meetings. Maybe we try 30 minutes instead, or we do 10-minute stand-up meetings instead of endless constant meeting cultures. And actually, when we can think about digital body language thoughtfully and carefully, we'll spend less time on screens, more time strategically thinking, less time sending hasty messages, and more time engaging in true thought and heart. Yeah, yeah. So how has all of that, well, you probably already answered the question, but I, I sense a lot more anxiety, a lot more burnout, yeah. a lot more loneliness and isolation. Does that tie into the fact that we've, I mean, we've, lost this ability to, you know, have these nonverbal cues that before the pandemic, we could at least kind of trust and see each other face to face, et cetera. And, uh, but what's your take on that? Our study actually showed that employees, 70% of employees said they face some level of digital anxiety every single week. Just take that moment and think about that. When I studied digital anxiety at work, I found that there were four types of experiences that often cause the highest levels of digital anxiety. The first was brief messages. Brevity creates confusion. I'll give you an example. One client sent a message to his boss that said, do you want to speak Wednesday or Thursday? And his boss responds, yes. <laughs> now, in today's world, you know, reading messages carefully is the new listening and writing clearly is the new empathy. Remember, especially if you're in a power level, your brevity can create a lot more misunderstanding and anxiety than you may think. The second is passive aggressive messages or potentially seemingly passive aggressiveness, even though someone may have a good intent. For example, we've all seen those messages like, 
per my last email or bumping this to the top of your inbox because you haven't responded. Are they ambiguous or are they passive aggressive? We sometimes ruminate and we have to stop getting emotionally hijacked. The third most common one is slow or no responses. If we feel ghosted by someone, but then we see they posted on social media and they <laughs> cause us anxiety and maybe we start to ruminate about what happened to our relationship, even though they might've just missed it. And the fourth one is a switch in formality. If someone used to have, you know, very informal text messages with you, and then all of a sudden starts using and writing emails that start with dear Erica and the end ending with regards, you may start to wonder what's going on. So anxiety is at all time highs. And I like to say it is very much impacted by the pandemic, but I actually think a deeper root cause is our digital communication crisis. We need a new rule book. We need a new set of understanding because also we connect and read into messages differently. In fact, one study showed that a period at the end of a text for younger digital natives seems like someone's angry or frustrated for a digital adapter, maybe someone who learned digital communication in their adulthood is just good grammar. So even that simple example shows the daily types of anxieties that can exist. Well, I'm telling you, I, I laughed earlier because it was a nervous laughter because I, I had I have to raise my hand. The examples that you gave, I'm at least guilty of two or three of those. OK, so what, we have to face the fact that this happens and sometimes subconsciously when we don't even mean to do it. But it does happen. Hey, another way that I wanted to touch on that I think that increases anxiety is when people wear masks. Right. So in your traditional workspace, you can usually tell when someone isn't being a hundred percent authentic. They're they're not giving you the whole story, right? They're sweeping things under the rug and and you're going, no, 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 we're not getting the full truth here. Okay, something else is really going on, but our leaders aren't being fully honest. But we also now wear masks by hiding behind technology. So talk us about that and how does that affect communication? One of the things that I identified in my research is that there's a, a scientific study on what's called the online disinhibition effect that shows that when we are working behind screens versus in person with the same individual, we are more likely to feel less empathy for them. Even if it's someone we know well, we are more likely to send messages that seem ruder, more terse, and more cold. If we saw someone face-to-face and we knew they were on the verge of tears versus excited, we would adapt. We would mirror them. Today, when we send out that email, that text, even engage on that call, we may not be able to read many of those cues. And so what technology can do is, number one, it can create masks that can allow us to be colder and more terse and more blunt, which for some is actually good, getting to the point quickly, and for others can be quite alarming. The second thing, though, is it can also cause us to hide behind messages. So using what may seem a polite phrase of, Thanks for doing this emoji, uh, smiley emoji. But that really means, you know, that smiley emoji really means a passive aggressive. Why didn't you finish this? Please do this now. Mm. And, and I think that we have started to use these punctuation and symbol marks specifically to signal things. I actually know someone who told me that in her email signatures, if she's in a good mood and she you know, has a cordial relationship with the person, she often ends her emails with warmly. But if she starts to get a little frustrated by them, she'll move to best. If she is really annoyed, she'll move to regards. So this is just an example of even these subtle cues that may be different for everyone 
but maybe showing up in our digital workplace. Yeah, it sounds like uh, by hiding behind technology, we're really what, what what's happening to us. Is we're we're becoming more of a jerk, Erica. <laughs> so, that's oh right. That's right. And but here's the truth: body language hasn't disappeared; it has just transformed. So I'm a big believer that we can bring nuance, love, and connection back in our digital body mm. language if we know how to use it well. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that in a minute. But first, I want to I want to touch on the the gender dynamics that happen in digital communication. So we already know that men and women, you know, we tend to communicate differently, right? So how has digital body language impacted the gender dynamics? What's a good example of that? There was one study by a linguist that showed when a younger woman used multiple emojis in a workplace email compared to a man at any rank level in that same workplace The woman would be more likely to be seen as incompetent. The man would be more likely to be seen as casual or friendly. Uh, Similar to traditional body language biases, like voice pitch and up-talking, there are actually digital body language biases, even across gender. You know, there was another study that looked at multiple exclamation points, and it showed that women do feel more pressure to pepper or soften their messages with exclamations or other tools, whereas men don't feel that same pressure. Uh, And there's a funny video I put on Instagram of when a man used, here we go, you know, with multiple exclamation points, it was interpreted as urgent. When a woman used, here we go with multiple exclamations, it was interpreted as excitement. So again, what I have found is that the digital communication research hasn't truly sped up to the gender spectrum. I'll say, you know, gender non-binary as well. But there is a masculine tone of digital body language and a feminine tone. And I know women that have a masculine tone. I know men that have a feminine tone. I'm a big fan of let's use this time to understand that there are these biases, but break them. Let's, you know, encourage men to dare to throw in an emoji. Let's encourage women to just be themselves as well. Right, right. Good, good. Okay. So before we transition to the part of the episode where we start talking about some solutions and, and give listeners practical strategies to address all of these issues. I want to make sure that you get to speak on something that I have missed. I wish we had a three-hour podcast. We'd cover the whole book. But is there anything that that is important enough that you want to address that causes misunderstanding and confusion and dysfunction that we need to address? I think the other just key piece of misunderstanding is how much it's shaped by the power and trust gaps with the Mm. other person. In my book, I talk about how we are always reading into others' digital body language based on two other questions we're answering. The first is who has more or less power? And the second is how much do we trust each other? If we have more power, we may not always, you know, be as reactive. But if we have less power and someone sends something brief, we may get it quickly. The second is trust. If we don't trust them yet, it may be more alarming to get a message saying, you know, we need to reschedule or this meeting has been canceled. (laughs) Whereas if there's high trust, we don't sweat it. So again, being thoughtful of trust and power graphs can remind you when you should assume good intent and not emotionally hijacked. Yeah, those are awesome tips. And speaking of tips, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, Eric and I are going to give you a sort of a playbook to not only improve your digital body language, but I, I picked a part of a book where it's really pertinent to the love and care conversation on how to do that in a digital context. We'll be right back. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show, 
the question comes up often. What's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind love and action? Well, the simple answer, we need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization. So check it out. I'm taking calls right now, and I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com and click on virtual training. So Erica, I want to start with what you call the four laws of digital body language. And the first law is to value visibly, which is another way of saying, stop disrespecting me, right? So break that down for us. How do we value visibly? Prior to the pandemic, a lot of the ways that we valued others was through a team dinner, eye contact, handshake, head nod. In today's world, most of those cues are invisible. So valuing visibly is about valuing people's time in boxes and even schedules. It's not sending no subject line emails with confusing details. It's making sure you don't chronically cancel conversations or meetings that have been defined and planned weeks in advance. It's simple things like always sending an agenda before a meeting so everyone knows why am I in this meeting and how are you valuing my time? It's even simple things like making sure we proofread our messages so that people aren't left having to ask three more questions or follow up with us, leaving you know what could have been a one-off quick back and forth into five or six back and forths. Valuing others is about first upgrading your digital body language, being thoughtful of people's time schedules. And when we do that, we not only show up well, we not only build trust with others, but we allow others to feel like they have to model those behaviors back. Yeah, yeah. You said one of the greatest killers of engagement today is assuming that if you don't hear back from someone, that everything is okay. You know, the idea that no news is good news. Talk about that. So, you know, I worked with a team member who joined my team fully remote a few years ago, not during the pandemic. And we started working together, you know, and it was very, it was very virtual and very functional. So I would send him requests. He would complete them. You know, he would respond with, okay. He was very responsive. We would have weekly calls all by phone, not on video at that time, where we would review to-dos. And about six weeks in, you know, I, I decided to ask Shim on a call, you know, how's it, how's it going? I, I think things are going really well. And he said to me, I don't think so at all. I mean, I thought I was going to get to do marketing work and I feel like I'm an admin. Uh, he just went off. Uh, he said, I feel like my time isn't valued. I don't know what's really going on. You don't give me context. And I realized that 
I was happily sending to-dos to Jim and he was completing them, but I was missing the cues in his, he was a Gen Zer and I'm an older millennial. And, you know, his K period, when he would send back something was actually signaling a fact that something was wrong. Mm. His feeling of frustration when I would pick up other calls while we were on a call because I was so busy and nonstop and, and thought that that was okay was actually a sense of insult for him. And what I had realized is that I was terrible in valuing him visibly. We ended up fixing it. But one of my biggest lessons was just not assuming others are okay. Ask, be mm. curious, check in. Don't just assume someone's multitasking on a Zoom call. Make sure you actually check in and acknowledge what may be going on. And I'll share one final story on this. One, yeah. one leader I know runs a global team. She's based in New York and she has a team member in London, a team member in Sydney, Australia, and a team member in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And her team member in, in Buenos Aires was not engaging on video calls. And at first she thought he may be multitasking. Then she thought maybe he wasn't interested. Finally, she said, I'm not going to assume, I'm going to ask. And she sent him an IM and he said, I'm having such a hard time translating three different English accents when English is not my native language, an American, British, and Australian accent at the same time. They started using closed captioning. They started using the chat more. And so valuing others visibly is making sure that you are not assuming that you are valuing them. You are actually asking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so when you do the actual asking, you know, you're showing curiosity and you're showing care for others because instead of assuming, you know what they say about assuming, right? And so I thought, I thought instead of, you know, dig, reaching out through some kind of digital means, you pick up the phone instead. But the phone, it's funny because the phone is not really an extension of digital communication, or maybe it should be. You know, in many ways, in my book, I talk about the phone as really being in one channel of digital body language. We have lots of channels, whether it's email, phone, text, IM, video calls, even social media could be put in that category in today's world. And I, I do think that we send and receive signals, digital body language on the phone, whether it's how we run an audio call. Do we start, if, especially if it's a group, by making sure everyone knows who's on the call and why okay. they're being on it? How many of us have been in that situation where we have no idea who's on the conference call yeah. and what the agenda is? And we can't read those body cues or a screen share of what's going on. You know, another thing that's important on phone calls is how we engage others to participate. I'll never forget pre-pandemic, I was on a conference call. Three of us were remote. Three people were in the office. And it wasn't until the 26th minute of a 30-minute meeting that someone in the office said, does anyone on the phone have something to share? We have been excluded the entire time. So again, thinking about how important it is to be empathetic of others on a phone call is a great example of the importance of digital body language. Love it. Okay. I do this a lot in my coaching sessions. And I love it that you brought this up is that I want to know about people's personality types because, well, I just want to acknowledge the fact that we're all different, right? And so it lends to a great, the strength of a team being one that is diverse and inclusive and all that. And so you talk about the importance of acknowledging people's individual differences and, in, you know, communication style. So what's a good example for us to start modeling that? So let's even think about introverts and extroverts. One of the most exciting things I've seen over the last 15 months is how introverts feel heard and seen in a different way. Many of them have told me, you know, Erica, I love the chat tool. 
I used to hate trying to fight for my voice to be heard during face-to-face meetings when extroverts really took the stage and talked most of the time. And I had to manage my body language. Now on a video call, I can avoid turn-taking. I can share my thoughts in the chat. I can use breakout rooms to have maybe smaller discussions. I can use virtual whiteboards in a way that wasn't really possible in the past. And so, you know, one of my clients actually does something now where at least 48 hours before her meetings, she sends an agenda with key questions she wants to pose to her team to be ready to answer in the meeting. This gives her introverts time to process ideas. They were already struggling to react without any time to process. Then in the meeting, she has everyone share in the chat first instead of calling on people or having people jump in because usually you only hear from extroverts first or those most senior. Then she calls on people with the most diverse or different perspectives to avoid groupthink and make sure she's getting different perspectives versus three people in agreement. And there's lots of other ways of doing this, whether it's helping those that have deep accents speak up using closed captioning tools. And so as we think about the power of digital body language, I believe it's actually an enabler to strengthen connections in a way that is much better than the way we were running face-to-face meetings. I love it. There's intentional care and reaching out and connecting to those that, like you said, that may not be the dominant types in the room, right? They don't have strong voices. And that's not because of any, any sign of weakness on their part. People are just wired differently. And of course, introverts, like you said, they process things, they take time, they're quieter. And the fact that in your example, the person reaches out after the meeting to ask the introverts for feedback is to me is, is brilliant. Because Again, the extroverts may be the ones that are the, the loud ones in the room that are, that are pumping all the information and, and throwing opinions loosely, right? So I think that that's really good. Thank you for that. All right. So I'm going to read something you wrote, and then I, I'm gonna, I want you to unpack it after you hear. Okay, here it goes. And I quote, when writing, do the little things. Check your tone and think about how your message may be perceived, especially based on your rank. What are your thoughts on that? You know, let's take an example. I have a picture in my book of a woman, imagine her as my boss, Jane, sending me an email. And the email says, has no subject in it, in the line portion, but in the body of the email, it says, why didn't you finish this question mark? Hyphen Jane. Now, let's think about even that message, depending on your rank. If it was a senior boss or a senior executive, Imagine how anxious I would feel or the signals that they may be sending. Get this done now. How dare you? Uh, If this was someone who was a good friend, maybe it could be sarcastic. Maybe it could be humorous or a bit more friendly. Like, was there an issue with it? Like, I'm just generally trying to understand why, why didn't you finish this? If you can hear the tone of my voice, it's genuine. And, you know, I'm just genuinely curious and interested. And if it's someone more junior than you, again, you may not read into it very much. You might just think they're typing fast. And if it was my father or my mother, you know, I wouldn't take any offense because for them, writing messages like that is the way that they type. (laughs) So again, so much of our messages is shaped by power dynamics. And especially for those that are higher in rank, be conscious that your power impacts how others read your digital body language. So make sure more than ever, to value others visibly and show that explicit appreciation. Yeah, yeah. I want to transition to something that it's going to stretch us, but I was cheering when I read it, okay? And I love it. I do a lot of work with my coaching clients around listening. 
And because I think, you know, your listening skills could be a game changer if you developed it as a leader. It's just a lost art these days. So the other skill that I spend so much time in my sessions is helping leaders build, build up and, and develop empathy. Okay. But now I'm having to face the reality the, the, that, that you have to learn to do both in a digital context. If it wasn't hard enough before, right, to do this stuff face to face, we now have to transition again and translate all of this in a digital context, which is why I think this is so cool and important what you just mentioned. Here it is. You say that you already mentioned it earlier in the, in the talk, okay? But we're going to do this again. Reading carefully is the new listening. And writing clearly is the new empathy. Okay, pause for shock. <laughs> so I want to start with reading carefully is the new listening. Give us an example of that. Reading carefully is the new listening. Uh, uh, you know, one chief marketing officer told me a story where she was reviewing some slides from her team and they asked her a question, should we move forward with this or gather more information? And she said something of the likes of the story I shared before. Yes, we should. And the team was entirely confused. Should they move forward or they should they gather more information? I, in many ways, I like to say that listening today is, an, is a very popular buzzword, but we haven't talked much about how it shows up in the video call, in the email, in the phone exchange, in the text. And I like to say listening today is really not only being thoughtful and being responsive, but it's being conscious and careful in the words, not rushing through emails where we're not answering someone's question, not reading into one line so deeply and then ruminating about it and saying, how dare they write that? I know I'm guilty of that as well. Uh, so when it comes to listening today, reading carefully is about taking the time to make sure you're reading by assuming good intent. You're reading for how you can add value and respond to them thoughtfully. And it dovetails perfectly into the second one, which is writing clearly is the new empathy. Once you have actually listened to what someone had said, Make sure you're clear and your response isn't careful. You don't choose hastiness. You choose to be thoughtful. And there's a story of a leader that I know that was reviewing a deck of her team. And she was reviewing some of the slides and she responded on email back to her team saying, let's iterate on this one topic a bit more. It was in the slides. Her team thought that meant we should add, you know, five to 10 more slides on that topic. She was just looking for two more bullet points on one slide on that topic. She didn't tell them that. They wasted countless hours. Imagine how demotivated they felt when it just whittled down to two bullet points. This is a great example where she realized that she wasn't writing clearly and that it was actually subpar empathy in our new world. Mm. So all of those leaders that are really good in traditional body language, they know about eye contact. They know how to listen face-to-face. -face. They know how to use head nodding and ask thoughtful questions. You need to understand that while your traditional body language signals of empathy may be great, your digital body language could be subpar. And it's important to be more thoughtful than ever of these skills. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I pulled this from another chapter, actually. So let's talk about digital teamwork and collaboration. What are some principles or you know ground rules that we must have in place now to collaborate at a high level? One of the biggest challenges many of us are facing is just the amount of digital collaboration tools we're using every day. Yeah. Whether it's Slack, text, email, IM, phone, video call, 
SharePoint, Zoom, you, I mean, you name it. There are so many. And actually, this in, in, in itself is causing, in my view, many collaboration barriers instead of connections. Uh, we don't know where to go to for what. Information is duplicated in one place and then sent to another place and hijacking us from time to really think and do work effectively. My general rule of thumb is to set some explicit norms with your team around which channels you use, why and when. And what are the response time expectations? Maybe if it's high complex, you know, you know when to do video calls and emails. If it's low complex, you use IMs, but the standard is if you IM outside of business hours, you don't hear back until the next day. Maybe if it's email, it's 24 hours to 48 hours. Maybe it's a, it's a video call. You have to give someone 48 hours notice unless it's urgent, which means you should just call them. And those simple things explicitly can go a long way in avoiding the dysfunction that many of us have felt. The second thing when it comes to collaborating confidently is making sure you're creating a cadence of informing the right people at the right time. There are way too many reply all emails or 30 person meetings where we feel, we feel a sense of fear or guilt that if we don't include everyone, yeah. that someone will get mad instead of bringing the right people in at the right time, thereby not wasting everyone's time. So a couple things here, set some rules around this. You know, if there's been four, up to four reply all chains back and forth, pick up the phone. Picking up the phone is worth a thousand emails. Second, on a video call, instead of having 30 person video calls, maybe say, you know, there are six people that are really decision makers, we will all join the calls. The other 24 all get email recaps of what happened and what are next steps. And they can choose to share their thoughts instead of wasting endless time. They can also watch the recording if they'd like, but it avoids a lot of wasted time. And and the third thing is I recommend initiating what I call the Zoom BCC, which is basically where, you know, if someone's been on the call, but they don't need to be on the call anymore in the chat tool, just write BCC, John, Sarah, Jenny. So they don't have to have this awkward, I'm leaving. They can just hop out and feel like their time is valued. Brilliant. Brilliant. So many great tips. Oh, my goodness. But you can pick up Erica's book and everything that she is talking about will be in there. Erica, I never thought that I would actually ask you this question because this question is usually is intended for drawing examples on a face-to-face, human-to-human, sort of, you know, staring into each other's eyes sense. You know, I personally believe that leadership is an expression of love. So before we wrap up, I want to make the link between leadership in the digital age and practical love and care. And for those of us that just joined this show and you're listening to this episode for the first time going, love? What is Marcel talking about? Love in this, in this case is a verb. It's not a feeling that is going to impact and engage the hearts and minds of people to do great things together. So if you were to boil down maybe your whole book or this conversation, how does a leader love well in in the digital context, day in and day out? I love to quote one of my mentors, Alan Mulally, who says, you know, service in life is to love and to be loved. And so I love the the theme today. And and just like we love each other, you know, in in a face-to-face setting through showing our heart, through our eye contact, through our head nods, through our deep listening, through a lean in. I think that loving others in a digital world can be replicated. It can happen and it can even be deeper than we ever were before. I mean, I think about you know, I'm my family is from India and I have family members that are suffering from COVID right now. 
And I think about how I'm able to have daily conversations with them on WhatsApp through digital connection in a way that is deepening our love in these hard times versus the distance that we normally feel. I'm, I'm thinking about the amazing explosion of virtual baby showers and virtual weddings where it's not just people that used to be in the room are there, but there is this extended room now, people around the world that can show love. I'm seeing, you know, dance parties that are virtual, bringing people together in a, in a setting. I'm seeing, you know, communities on Clubhouse where I've had conversations about digital body language with women in Turkey and Singapore and Nigeria at the exact same time. And so I think what is most exciting about leadership in a digital era is how much more geographically inclusive we can be, how much less visually biased we'll be to who was in the room to really, truly allow anyone in that room. And I think that is the full extension of love and the human spirit. Oh my goodness. So enlightening. That was, that was truly, truly dripping with wisdom. Thank you. So we end our episodes with two traditional questions. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like to share? What's tugging at my heart is, you know, my two beautiful children, Kamaya and Rohan. Uh, Kamaya is two and a half years old and Rohan is 15 months years old. You know, Rohan was literally born into the pandemic. (laughs) And, And I think as a working mom who basically has burned three babies, two kids in a book in the last three years. I think what's tugging in, in, in my heart is how I can truly make the most of every moment. And sometimes I don't do it. Sometimes I get distracted and look down at my email when I want to spend time with my kids and mm. read them a book. Sometimes I start thinking or ruminating about five other to-dos instead of just being present. You know, And so I think being present, whether it's online or off, is tugging at my heart. Yeah, I love it. Okay, and finally, you get to close us out your way, Erica. What's that that one thing, that one takeaway that I'd like to bring us home with? In the world of digital body language, choose thoughtfulness over hastiness. Perfect. All right, if people want to connect with you, where can it go? Well, you can check out my new book, Digital Body Language, available everywhere and internationally as well. Audible, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, indie stores, you name it. You can also go to my website, ericadewan.com to learn more about me and my keynotes and events. And if you want to get practical tools in addition to the book, go to ericadewan.com slash digital body language to get some free downloads toolkits, as well as find me on all four social channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes, and Dewan is spelled D-H-A-W-A-N. Did I get that right? That's right. Awesome. And I'll make sure that I have that in my show notes. Erica, you are a beacon of light in a dark world, and we are better for it. So thank you for your wisdom today. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. Join the conversation and comment on this episode with hashtag loveinactionpodcast. And as I mentioned, I will have my show notes with all of Erica's resources on my website, marcelschwantes.com. I'm coming right back with my one action item that you must start doing today based on this conversation. So of all the things Erica mentioned, what do you guys think I'm going to suggest as your must-do action item. Well, 
if you get acknowledging individual differences, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Because I have a soft spot for introverts. You know, I uh, personally, I think they're brilliant and they don't often get the recognition they deserve because louder voices still monopolize the conversation. So what happens in conference calls and Zoom meetings or group emails is that they won't jump in right away in those, you know, rapid fire email exchanges or, or quick brainstorming sessions over Zoom because they need more time to process ideas and they need the space to think through the questions. And their brilliance may come out more often in those one-on-ones, those more intimate settings, rather than large groups. So here's what to do with your introverts. Create a process after your strategy calls or video meetings and reach out to your introverts and ask two questions. What's the bad news I don't want to hear? And what might we have missed in our last discussion? That's it. Because asking these two questions, they're going to help you as a leader to see the challenges that are affecting the business that may not have been discussed in your last meeting. And also, it reduces overall cultural groupthink. So there you have it. My special thanks to Erica Duwan for joining us. The book, again, is called Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance. And thank you, Love and Action Nation, for joining the conversation. Please spread the love by sharing this episode. And finally, if you or your company would like to sponsor an episode of Love and Action, I'd love to hear from you. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com, or find me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Doing so will help more people to find the podcast so we can keep spreading the Love in Action movement. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and be convinced.